world is writing a new story of global kinship. Postmodern Missionary dives into what it means to be a missionary pushing against the heritage of colonialism. Join Reverend Katie Meek as she explores life and faith in Sierra Leone. So, Doctor Reverend Doctor Joe Moiba, Moi, don't you say that again, Reverend Doctor Joe Moiba. Moiba. Uh-huh. Uh huh. PhD. Welcome. Yes, thank you very much, Reverend Katie Meek. You are very welcome. Um, so, I'm glad that you're here. You're actually my first Sierra Leonean to interview on this podcast. I don't, oh, what? Uh, you are very special. Thank you. I count myself <laughs> as very blessed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tell us about yourself. Where should I begin? Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to begin from uh, maybe infancy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born to a lovely couple, Moses and Margaret Moiba and Bo, mm-hmm. in 1971. Mm-hmm. In other words, I was born in a city. My father was a very um, respectable man in the community. Mm-hmm. By the time I was born, he was the uh, central chiefdom administrative clerk. Wow. In, in other words, clerk. he was in charge of the clerks in the board district area okay. who were in the local courts. Wow, okay. And then later, wise, I was uh, about six or seven, he became the town treasurer of Bo City. Mm-hmm. So That's I grew a big up, job. Yes, yeah, a big job. And my mother was a very, very caring mother. Mm-hmm. She was at home. Mm-hmm. So I grew up uh, with many siblings. Uh, first at Betoma in Bo, and later at Moibao Farm. We moved to Moibao Farm when I was seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. And during this period, I was going to the um, Catholic Model Primary School. Mm-hmm and eventually to Seventh-day Adventist Primary School. Oh, that's interesting. After that, I had to go to uh, Form 1 in 1984. And between the the ages 1 to 12, when I went to um, uh, secondary school, I was called by my friends as brigadier. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wanted me to be a soldier. <laughs> uh, by the time I went to Form 1, uh, then uh, it changed. I wanted to be a pilot, uh-huh. you know. So between the, the ages of um, uh, 12 and uh, 16, I wanted to be a pilot, so I wanted to join the military. So I was studying. Geography was my best subject. Hmm. In other words, I was like, my, my favorite thing to do, my hobby was book education, mm-hmm. reading, mm-hmm. Uh, football, um, long jump, you know, those were my um, activities. I grew up uh, in a large family. I have a sib- uh, my siblings, uh, um, 15. Wow. You know, I have 15 siblings. And where are you uh, in the birth order? Um, no, my father had uh, was married and he lost the wives and okay. then he got married to my mother. Okay. So my mother was, uh, to my mother, I'm the first child. Okay. okay. We are seven to my mother. Oof. And uh, those seven people, uh, I took four of them to Norway. Mm-hmm. So we are five in Norway. But the other two are here in Sierra Leone. So I like football. I like, uh, I, I like to read. Mm-hmm. I like to I like to challenge myself. Mm-hmm. I don't like to settle down for what I've already achieved. Right. I like to always improve myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, my strengths. Uh, of course, uh, I make friends easily. Yeah. 
my weaknesses are that I walk too much. <laughs> Sometimes I overwork myself and then I'm so tired, I start to ask myself questions. Why shouldn't you rest, etc.? Right. You know, so sometimes when I've, uh, I like to preach. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was 16, 17, I had a strange dream, which changed my plan from being uh, a pilot in the military mm-hmm. to being a clergyman. I had, I, at one night, I was sleeping, and then uh, I saw somebody appeared to me, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, he told me to follow him in the dream. And then I followed him, and then he took me to a very, very mighty building. I think it was the topmost floor. Mm. And he told me that, uh, uh, let me go back to the world and serve him. And he has prepared a place for me. But for, for people to believe that what I'm saying is true, when I wake up, I should go to my father and tell him to give me a piece of land so that I can build a church for him. Mm-hmm. I woke up, being the kind of child I was, you know, my father, I woke, went to my father and told him, Daddy, I had a dream. Somebody appeared to me in white clothing. He took me to a building. I reiterated the story for him. Right. And then he took me outside. He said, where do you want to build a church? Wow. And I said, I want to build it right outside his house. <laughs> so in the morning, I gathered people and said, oh, I had this very fantastic dream yesterday. I'm going to build a church. So everybody was laughing at me. Right. I was just 16, 17. Right. I mean, how can you build a church at this age? But then I also determined, I went and took uh, my savings and uh, started making bricks. You started so, making bricks? Bricks, yes. Wow. I called my friends. I said, I'm going to build a church. I started making bricks. I engaged a, a messenger mm-hmm. to help me. Mm-hmm. And by the time, to cut a long story, the church is standing there now at Moiba Ufa. Yes, I've seen it. Yes. I so, think I have pictures of you in front yes, of it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so that's changed my plans uh, from being a pilot to being a clergyman. So I took the local preacher's exams in the Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. While I was teaching at Milton Comprehensive School, Secondary School after my A levels, mm-hmm. and then uh, I I was sent to college in Freetown. And I, when I came to college, within a period of three years, I got the best grade. Mm, wow. Yes, I actually be, I graduated as the best HCPS graduate. Mm. And then uh, this, it was now during the war in Sierra Leone. Right. So normally when you get that kind of grade, they will send you to the cathedral. Uh-huh. But instead of sending me to the cathedral, they sent me to the war front. Oof. You know, so they sent me to Kailan District. Shepard Which Bar. is way out Way there, outside. Close uh, to the Guinea yes, border. Yes, it's yes, like yes. eight hours. Exactly. On the bad road. Yes, very yeah. bad road. And, uh, and at the time, there were bombed. Mm. So I went there, and uh, when I went there, I worked with the people, but we were always being displaced, mm-hmm. you know, always being displaced. By soldiers, is that By what you mean? By soldiers and rebels. And okay, so people, yeah. like, essentially people coming in and out in and, and out terrorizing the, the yes, people. Yes. and exactly. Okay. So that's where I, why I met my wife. You know, my late wife. Uh, okay. Yes. And okay. then uh, I waved to her. Mm-hmm. And then she was interested. Who is this person waving? This young clergyman, you know. And then uh, we got to know each other. And then uh, she told me to visit her country, Finland. Uh-huh. So after some time, I went and visited Finland in 1998. Okay. 1998. And then we got married. Uh-huh. 
Uh, unfortunately, there was a serious accident uh, in which you died eventually oh, gosh, after I'm a sorry. long struggle before I met my my current wife that who have, with whom I have two children. Now. Yeah. Yes, yes. So basically, I I I left. We we left Sierra Leone mm-hmm. in January 1999 mm-hmm. and went to Norway. Okay. Yes, and in Norway, when I went there, I decided that oh, what should I do? I should continue my my role as a clergyman. So I've, I started with the UMC, but then where I was staying, there was no UMC church, so I decided to go to the state church, okay. the, the Church of Norway, Lutheran okay. Church, because okay. it's found everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wrote to the archbishop, the bishop at the time, and then he asked, he asked me to to be practicing in Lademon Church. That is one of the churches in the cathedral. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, I should prepare myself for, for me to be um, to be a, a Lutheran priest. Okay. So I went to university. Right, so there's different requirements. Yes. For, like essentially everywhere you go. In the States, for a UMC, you have to have a master's degree. Mm-hmm. That's not true here, but I would imagine it's true in Norway. It is. Okay. Mm. So I went and took my first degree in psychology and Christianity studies. And you did that in Norway? I did that in Norwegian University of Science and Technology. Okay. And then after that, I did my teacher education, practical pedagogical education, levels one and two, which mm-hmm. qualifies me to teach in primary and secondary schools. Okay. And after that, I was challenged by the church. If I want to work as a minister in the, in the Lutheran church in Norway, I should have my master's degree. So I did a master of arts in Christianity studies. Mm-hmm. But to my surprise, after my first master's, it was not enough. So I was asked to do some more courses. So that made me move to University of Oslo to do another master's. I did candidatus theology. I, uh-huh. you know. And that, what does that, that mean? Is, that, is, <laughs> that is a professional, it is, you, have, you become a professional theologian. Okay, okay. It's okay. a seven years degree. Oh my gosh. At university level. Yes, and uh, I've specialized there in intercontextual theology. Okay. And then eventually, for you to be a Lutheran minister, because it's a state church, you have to go to the practical theological seminary to do a postmaster's program, which is practical theological exam. And wow. I went there, I qualified. To cut a long story short, I qualified mm-hmm. that. And then I was employed as the first black Norwegian uh, priest in the state church who wow. became superintendent. Wow, so you became a superintendent. Yes, I was in your thirties too, yes, right? Like in my thirties, yeah. I was in my thirties. Yes, Ooh. I became superintendent in my thirties. Yeah, you know, and then of course after that I worked for the Church of Norway, mm-hmm. and then I, I the, the reason why I left was because I was um, uh, I, I had challenges with the issue of whether I should um, uh, officiate at some funerals. Mm-hmm. You know, some families refused me officiating at funerals because I was black. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so they, that became known, and you know, many Norwegians don't like things like that. Right. So they decided me, and then really the thing became a you know really a big story, and everywhere. So, wow. So I was a little bit scared that now that almost everybody know about me, I was a little bit scared. Maybe I should relocate back to Sierra Leone. Wow. Yes. 
So basically, I came with my family, mm-hmm. my children, my wife and my children, and uh, we are here for several years after that, after we came back in 2019, until Ebola, before they went back. Right. Yes, but during this time, I, I didn't have a church. They had not given me a church, so I wanted to do something. So I decided to, to, to enter into politics. Yes, I asked the church for permission because there's a provision in our constitution that if you are interested in doing something else, you can ask for permission. So the church granted me. So I contested for the highest office in my country. Mm-hmm. And we're yeah, going to get to that. Don't yes. give me too okay, many details. You. All right. Yeah. So basically, that's me. Currently, my, my family is in Norway and I'm here okay. working with the UMC. Mm. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot. <laughs> okay, so let's kind of go back um, to some of that early stuff. Well, first, let's talk about your education. Yes. You have you have an undergrad. You have an HTC, which is a... HCPS. 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 Higher Certificate of Proficiency in Pastoral Studies. Okay, yes. and that's... Three years. Are you Okay, uh, I'm thinking Sierra about your... F- from Sierra Leone. From Sierra Leone. Okay. That qualified me to be a minister in the Methodist Church. Ah, okay. So you have that one, and then you have an undergrad... I have an undergrad in psychology and Christianity studies. And then you have three master's degrees. Yes, I have, uh, well, you don't call all of them master. You have two that you call master's. Uh-huh. And then you have one, you have to have a master's for you to take it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have a PhD. Yes, I have a PhD from United Kingdom. And you are in the process now of getting a law degree. Yes, I'm in the process of getting an LLM laws, international law. And you are a professor at the Bishop Wiener School of Theology yes. in Freetown, yes. where I also teach. That's right. Okay. You are one of two professors. So something that I think people in the United States don't know that's different is you have to have um, you have to have a PhD and be published yes. in order to be called a professor. Professor, and I've done that. Right. I have published over 400, uh, uh, 400 pages academic work. Wow. Yes. And um, it's really good, excellent work mm-hmm. for my, my public. Uh, religion and peacemaking in Sierra Leone was characterized as absolutely brilliant wow. by the Ivy Lee um, 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 editors that edited my work. Wow, and I'm really amazing. proud of that work because the last time I checked, over 10,000 people had quoted my work in their main text. Wow. And as for, for a young scholar, yeah. that is really good. Eh? That's a big deal. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, okay, we live in a country that is like 70% illiterate. Um, And I know you already said that you come from um, an an educated family and a family of high achievers, right? But I'm I'm wondering how it is that you are so educated coming from Sierra Leone. And I'm going to ask you to pull the mic up closer to your mouth. Yes, indeed. You are right. You know, um, to be honest, even though I came from that family, in that family, I am the probably the highest educated and many siblings are not that educated mm-hmm. okay um, I have a PhD and my younger sisters and brothers my younger sister I took to Norway has a bachelor okay apart from that all the others are at HND and diploma and certificate levels okay so, wow. so basically when it comes to academic education you know I am far far ahead of the rest of the siblings okay not only the siblings but even the uh, some of my uncles and aunties, you mm-hmm. know. But for me, growing up in Sierra Leone, you know, I believe that, or I think that 
it is not necessarily uh, uh, n- uh, natural. You know, it's mm-hmm. nature. It's nature. Yes. Because, nature rather than nurture. Yeah, no, because we grew up in the same community together with my brothers and sisters. Right. But when it comes to education, you know, I'm at a high, highly advanced state. Yeah. It probably have to do with my brain. It was not damaged at bath, so mm-hmm. I was just lucky. Mm-hmm. It could have been damaged. Right. You know, so I was just probably lucky that uh, the midwife that took me out into this world took a, did a very good work. So anytime I pass my exams, I always think about that midwife. Wow. That she did a good work. Yeah, because yes. birth, birthing here is yes. dangerous. Yes, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. So I see like my elder brother uh, who is staying in the, in the family compound now, I noticed that simple exams we used to take together, he could not manage it. Mm-hmm. Not because he's stupid, but probably that you know, there are some challenges biologically. So the 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 nature. Yeah, and there's different kinds of intelligence, yes, right? And yes. yours, I think, is it's in that area. Yeah, absolutely. But it is my own. I characterize my own as extremely uh, strange to myself because mm-hmm. I think people take one year to study and understand. I just take few hours mm-hmm. to catch it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's very very interesting, and uh, some. Sometimes I want to do some research on my brain. Right. Yes, <laughs> because you're a psychology person too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's it. So we have a huge number of people that can be characterized as uh, illiterate, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you have many educated people. But I see education as both formal and informal. Mm-hmm. I think that some people probably do not have the kind of academic credentials I have, but they are very intelligent. Yeah. One such person is my father. Mm-hmm. I remember he had a higher national diploma in accounting, mm-hmm. you know, and he, uh, he, he, at one time when I finished my PhD and I came out, so I was so happy, oh, daddy, I've completed my PhD and I'm going to publish it. And he said, oh, you really sure you are going to publish it? I said, say yes. I said, yes. And then he said, you have to be very careful because once you publish it, anybody can challenge it. Mm-hmm. So I, I started wondering, I said, oh, I was, I was thinking, <laughs> I was just thinking that this man is just, you know, he's just an HND, so he does a boy. You know, he, he was not formally educated at my level. Right. But I think he had that experience. Yeah, so understand something of the world. something about that world of publication. Yeah. Uh, then you also have uh, people who can cook, like my mother. Mm-hmm. She stopped in class seven. Mm-hmm. But she's very good at cooking. Right. You know, she, the kind of food she prepares, she prepared for us. Right. While we are growing up. Yeah. It's so valuable. If we are going to pay her for that, it was going to be really plenty of money she was going to be receiving. Absolutely. You know, so, so I see that she had that informal education Mm -hmm. but notwithstanding because the world we need to verify knowledge Mm -hmm. so that is why our own is more valued than the ones that are taking informally Mm -hmm. you know but I think that people are not nobody is born stupid right I think everybody has something to contribute absolutely you know but at the intellectual level at the cognitive level you will need a formal Mm -hmm. education yeah so it seems to me like in some ways the yours was a mix of in the, what we call in the states you're a go-getter which means that you're you're you are an achiever you 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 really strive after the things that yes. are in front of you yes in fact let me tell you something interesting about when i was going to school during my secondary school days mm-hmm. i can remember i didn't have a pair of shoes 
from eighth grade to eight, nine, 10, 11, 12th grade. I didn't have a pair of shoes. Wow. So I used to go around my uncles to ask them to help me to get a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. So one of them was very um, uh, kind to me. So he decided, he asked me to go to his store to look for a very old shoe. So I went and uh, I took the shoes. But when I used the shoe, it is my, 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 my feet was bigger than the shoe, so I, I had some pains, you know. Mm -hmm. So I took it to the uh, blacksmith, and they tried to open it. But after some time, the school passed the law that everybody should have a black shoe. Mm -hmm. And that was my only shoe, and it was brown. Mm -hmm. So I took it, to, I went and got a sculptor, and put a cool black sculptor on it so that it can look black. Mm -hmm. So my friends were always laughing at me, mm -hmm. you know. And I didn't used to take lunch to school. I didn't have lunch, mm -hmm. let alone breakfast. Mm. So I went to school for several years, hungry every day. But I just thought that I am going to achieve. So at uh, in the in the ninth grade, mm -hmm. I used to stand before my friends who were um, sort of uh, mobbing me. Mobbing is Norwegian. Uh, how do you call it? Bullying me. Oh, huh? I used to stand before my friends who were bullying me, saying to them, "By the time we are thirty." Uh, whenever you write my name, you have to write Joe Moiba, BA comma, BSC comma, mm. MA comma, MSC comma, PhD comma, and everybody, you know, they were all laughing at me. Right. Because when they saw my condition at the time, right. it was impossible. Right. And I used to tell you, I'm going to be president of this country mm. sometime. Wow. Yes. So, so I had three goals in my life. One was... I wanted to help my mother mm. beyond understanding. Mm. Two, I wanted to have a PhD. Mm -hmm. And three, I wanted to have, uh, to be president of my country. Mm. I have achieved the first one. Mm -hmm. I took our children to Norway and educated all of them. Mm. They are there about, she has about 15 grandchildren there now. Wow. And all of them are well employed. They are all in good position. They all have houses where they are staying. So I've done the first one. Mm -hmm. The second one was to get my PhD, and I've got it. Now I'm fighting for the third one. Mm -hmm. We'll, we'll talk about it. Later. Thank you. <laughs> 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 right. So it's a it's a mix between you being um, a go getter and also it seems to me in some ways opportunity, yeah. and in some ways luck or yeah. favor, depending upon what you would say. Take take uh, take the op opportunities before you seriously. Right. Yeah. You absolutely. Know, yeah. Any opportunity that comes your way is important to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. You know. Don't don't be lazy. Right. <laughs> you know, at least try to get some hours work. Mm -hmm. You see. So that, but at the same time, we've got to learn to be humble. Right. Yes, in this world, and I think that has that helped me greatly. Um, one one way it helped me was I remember when I was taking my siblings to Norway. Mm -hmm. I had a visa for Norway, but they didn't have a visa. So it's impossible to go to Norway without a visa. Mm -hmm. But wherever we went at the airports, the way my, my approach, my manner of approach, the people allowed me to go, go with them mm -hmm. until we arrived in Norway. In, in, uh, at the time, it was Gardemoin mm -hmm. Airport. Mm -hmm. And everybody was asking, the journalists, the newspapers, everybody, because by the time I was coming, mm -hmm. There was this news that I've come back to a war front to receive my siblings okay. out of the war. Okay. You know, so there were over several news journalists, newspapers at the airport waiting for me. Wow. So they were all wondering, how did you come with those, your siblings to this country without a visa? 
I told them it's good to be polite. You know, talk to people, don't be arrogant. Mm-hmm. Kindness <laughs> goes Kindness a long goes way. Well <laughs> way. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> You are not everybody from Bo is Mindy, but most people from Bo are Mindy yes. by tribe. Yes, Mindy is a um, Bo is probably the largest city you can characterize as Mindy in the world. Okay, wow. Yeah. And Mindy and Timini are the two large tribes yes, here in, in Sierra, Sierra Leone. Leone. Yes, we like to call it ethnic groups. Oh, ethnic groups. Instead Excuse of me. Tribes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So how you speak Mindy? You yes. speak Creole. Yes. You speak English. Yes. And Norwegian. Norwegian, Swedish, Danish. So how many languages is that? Well, um, <laughs> seven, and then yeah. Wow. Mm. Okay, so can you can you give us um, a, a phrase in Mendi? Yes, I will give you a phrase in Mendi. Yona kiabina Yesu. And what does that mean? Yona kiabina Yesu. Who can liken himself to you, Jesus? Mm, that's beautiful. Mm. And w- how would you say that in Norwegian? Um, in Norwegian, it's difficult to translate one from one language to the other. Yeah. But uh, in Norwegian, I will try to say to transliterate it. I would say, "Them can samelingnesai me Jesus." Them can samelingnesai me Jesus. Very good. Um, well, we could go into that, oh, but yes. we want we don't have time. Yes. <laughs> um, I think languages are really fascinating. Yes, so. very fascinating. What I learned, uh, anybody that is at home in two languages knows that you cannot exactly say the same thing in one language, That's you know, right. like in another. Yeah. So it's very good to have this this consciousness that when you are translating or transliterating, mm-hmm. that you have to be very aware of the theory of mimesis that things develop and people can also interpret things according to their perception, according to their phenomenon, uh, according to their knowledge base, according mm-hmm. to their qualification, etc. Mm-hmm. So we have to be humble when we translate from one language to the other. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, and I think also, I mean, just when it comes to language, I I think that you live life differently in every language that you speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's actually kind of fun to watch you guys, and I say guys because it's mostly men up at the school, mm-hmm. but to like when I'm in the room, generally you don't speak Mindy, but even today, uh, you had Reverend Conte in your office and right. I came in and said, right. hey, are you ready? Yeah. And then I walked out and as I was walking out, you switched to Mindy. Yes. Um, and so in some ways, the, the Mindy yeah. um, communicates a different a different level of belonging that almost. That is right. There's a book called The Underneath of Things. Uh-huh. I've it, it, I think. Yes, it's part- Oh yeah, you remember I told you about that book? Yeah. It tells you how the people here, the Mindy people in Sierra Leone, how they they do things, mm-hmm. you know. It's they, they, most of the their their actions are not um, are not overt. Mm-hmm. They are not things you see. Most of their actions are covert. Okay. You know, there are things you do not see. Okay. Yes, and that is a challenge, especially when it comes to issues of health. Uh. When it comes to issues of relationship, when mm-hmm. it comes to you know, people like to 
you know, not to make things very public. Mm-hmm. You know, so this um, thing, making things public mm-hmm. is not necessarily a mandate culture. Okay. That's why you even talk, you hear people talking about secret society. Right. But they are, they are actually not secret society, you know, and that um, only members can know. Mm-hmm. But we all know that non-members could know, you know, what happens, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is this culture of secrecy. Mm-hmm. You know, there is this culture of... Uh, uh, um, what you call in the US classified? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> classified. It's it's all geared towards helping the people to survive as a people. In what way? In one way. Well, uh, tell me, tell me in what way it in helps them to so that survive. Strangers who do not seek the interest of the mm-hmm. many people we don't know the underneath of things mm-hmm. so if you are going to uh, uh, if, they, if if a war is going to come they are going to have a war in Sierra Leone in the Mendeland they can suddenly develop a military force mm. you know using the secret society right using the underneath of things okay. using the, the, the covert security that they have right you know so it's a question of uh, yeah it's a co- it's a question of cohesion and and group protection mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and as well as testing people who, who, are, who come from yeah, yeah loyalty. loyalty yes okay yes well, that's yeah. really fascinating that's it we could talk forever about oh, yes, that yes trust me yeah i'm sure um, we'll have to do a little bit more of that at some point mm-hmm. um okay so tell me a little bit more about your your life in norway um you so you went there and at what point did you learn Norwegian. I mean, uh, that is a very interesting thing. Um, I, with all humility, I can tell you, with, within three months, I was able to speak Norwegian. Wow! Because I was so motivated to preach in Norwegian. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So I Good had this you. intensive uh, Norwegian studies, uh-huh. and uh, I could preach. I, I can remember. I still have some of my scripts somewhere. <laughs> you know, the first sermon I actually wrote in Norwegian. Yeah. You know, trying that's to. That's a big deal, man. Yeah, present Jesus Christ in Norwegian mm-hmm. and. Uh, things like that. Um, so when I went there um, in 1999, I started um, studying and um, when I, I took my brothers and sisters with me, they were with me and I was helping them. I was sort of like foster father to them. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I used to use the library a lot in Norway. Mm-hmm. If I'm not forgetting, maybe 67, 70% of my time in Norway was spent in the library. Wow. In one library or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I used to go to the Trondheim Library, People's Library in Trondheim. I used to go to the Norwegian University Main Library at uh, um, Glosshagen as well as Dragvall Campus. Right. You know, and um, I spent a lot of time also doing translation work. Okay. Is it, apart from my private uh, activities with my wife and children, mm-hmm. um, where we used to visit places, you know. Right. But I was like, when I became a priest in the Church of Norway, I was like an exotic priest, mm-hmm. exotic in the right. in quotation. Everybody wanted to interview me and talk to me, and uh, sometimes I go to the bar and take a, pia, pia, a pint of beer. Uh-huh. That was very interesting for the Norway context. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a priest goes and sit down and take a beer. Would be seen 
that way? Yeah, oh, that's was, yeah, surprising it, to me. Yeah, I would. Was, yeah. I always thought that Europeans, yeah, even yeah. religious Europeans, I'm don't have a problem with it's, beer. It's, it's, a, it's a strange, uh, huh. you know. So, but I used to go. Like, we are uh, uh, microbrigerie, Etronium. Mm-hmm. I used to go there together with my wife and take a glass or two of uh, Guinness, mm-hmm. and we used to serve ourselves. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then um, within the the environment, the church environment where I worked, yeah. I worked in La Des Moines, a city church. I worked in Celebu, uh, I worked in Meruker, I worked in um, uh, Varnes. Varnes Church is very interesting. Varnes Church was about, no, at the time I was working there, it was about 1,000 years old, built in 900 AD. Wow. And inside the church, you had the, god, the heads of all the gods, the neuron gods of Northern Europe. Wow. You know? And the church was located very close to the airport. Okay. So most of the times when I used to have uh, funerals, mm-hmm. and then I saw the, the, the airplane landing and mm-hmm. the, the airplanes used to pass over my church to the airfield. Mm-hmm. I always remember my youthful days that I wanted to be a pilot, mm-hmm. you know, to fly people up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now I have to fly people to, up to in, into eternity, right. into heaven, you know, so. Seems uh, like a very yes, important job. Yes, <laughs> it is, you know. From there, I was appointed superintendent of uh, Fargehaug uh-huh. uh, and Lundset. Interesting. Parishes in Updal Parish. And most of this time you were like senior pastor of those yes, churches. Yes, yes, I was. Um, and how, how did they receive you? I mean, was it more prejudice than not? Was it more curiosity well, than to not? Be, to be honest, they received me well in Updal. Mm-hmm. To be really honest, you know, but as we went along, um, some few families, you know, really disturbed me because for me it was fundamental for a Christian to not be racist. Right. Because I can still remember a colleague of mine told me whenever he saw me on the pulpit, he was very angry with me. Hmm. Because as a black man walking there, you know, he told me that one on one to one basis. Wow. Yes, and that was really tough for me to accept. Right. Because yeah. it does feel very obvious that yes. if God created all of us equal, equal, then we ought to. Yes, so that was a challenge for yeah. me. Yeah. You know, so I didn't want to go into confrontation mm-hmm. with them. But the vast majority of Norwegians, trust me, are very nice people. That's great. Yeah, the vast That's majority. Great. But those small number, they can really make you feel. They can make your life a little. Very, yeah. yeah, you know, you talking about people having a problem with mm. you doing funerals in particular. Mm. It's always funerals. I yeah. because I um, had that experience. Mm less personally and mm. more with my mentors mm. um, um, that people don't want women to do mm. their funerals For as example, well. Yeah. yeah, and so it's not, it, it's it's oftentimes the church mm. is accepting, but yeah. it's people kind of coming in from the outside who yeah. say, no, 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 that's mm. not right. Mm. Um, and so you almost get that prejudice from yeah. Yeah. from the wider culture. Yeah. So I enjoyed my time. I was I was very comfortable in Norway in many ways. Um, I, I stayed in very nice places. Uh, my houses were very nice. Mm-hmm. I think I bought two houses before I came back home. Mm-hmm. And of course, I have to sell them back to pay back the bank's loan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because the, the, the disparity between what you got paid what in I'm Norway got, and, and what, what you got I'm paid. getting on Sierra Leone, right. I can't manage to right. have to keep a house there. Yeah, because the truth is, and let's talk about this a little bit, if you're, if you're comfortable with it. Um, you know, in, like... 
it, it's baffling to me that my driver mm. makes makes in many ways more than a lot of the pastors. That is right. Um, who who um, and and I just you know a lot of pastors make less than a hundred dollars a month here. Right. Even my driver used to make more money than me. Yeah. And I signed his check. Oh my gosh. So there's something really bad in this what people think about being a pastor. Right. Being a reverend. And I've tried and tried and tried to change that. But some people just think, oh, now God work. Yeah. As if all other work you do is not God work. Right. Right. As if teaching in the university is not God work. Right. As, As if, if uh, being a driving a car is not God's work. Right. You know. Right. They, they, they have a very limited way of, you know, looking at God's work. So they have this mindset that you really shouldn't, but you should sacrifice almost everything almost in everything, order to serve. Yes, but I really think it also has to do with the theology history of Sierra Leone. Mm -hmm. Many of the missionaries that probably came here to Sierra Leone were not necessarily highly educated. Okay. So they built a culture where the priests it's not necessarily somebody who earns according to their qualification. Okay. You earn according to year of travel. Okay. So that if you, if you are the most educated, you are going to earn less than somebody who you are well educated than, yeah. who have traveled more than you. Okay, that's you know, interesting. As a pastor, yes. That's one. Secondly, they were not receiving salary probably from Sierra Leone, so mm -hmm. they used to send money from them from their home countries. And so they developed a culture where those who were coming in, mm -hmm. you know, did not have the same opportunity to come to help their um, natives right. to have the spirit of giving right. to support the work of ministry. Right. You know? Yeah, and this is an important conversation that yes. we're having in the States right now yes. about how we, um, when, when we always provide, what that means is it gives people a, a certain mindset that, they don't, that they're not meant to contribute. Mm. And that robs people of yes. their God-given right of generosity yeah, and their it. call yeah, for generosity. It. So what we recommend always is to help people who you know want to do something with their lives mm -hmm. through providing education because right. education is one of the main tools to help them to move on. Right. Uh, also through infrastructural development, mm -hmm. you know, so that with education and infrastructure, they will be able to do something for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, just giving handouts is not necessarily the best alternative, but strengthening them, uh, connecting them, you know, and um, also giving them the opportunity to make use of what they have. Right. You know, I think will be the best way of helping people who come from poorer countries like mm -hmm. us. The challenge now we have in Sierra Leone, which I am struggling with, is that we are buying too much into the Chinese story. Mm -hmm. That you go to China, they give you some money, and you come back, and you then you praise them and things like that. Mm -hmm. But to to be honest, I see no future in that. It's just the vicious circle, right? From the from one colonizer to another colonizer, yeah. rather than creating an environment wherein you strengthen Sierra Leoneans to be uh, skilled, mm -hmm. to be able to create jobs for themselves, mm -hmm. and to be able to think that okay, we do not need help. We might need help, yes, but we have to do it ourselves. Right. You, you need see? help in such a way that yeah. you're empowered, empowered, rather than rather than uh, left without anything in your hands. Exactly. You yeah. see, that is one. And the second area 
area is the religious aspect. Instead of creating, um, uh, you, you have to invest a lot into theological education, especially in Africa, rather than giving handouts. Because religion is probably one of the most powerful institutions in the world. Mm -hmm. And the kind of theology that is spread in Sierra Leone and other places make people lazy mm -hmm. because they sit down and expect miracles. Right. They wait for things that they have not worked for. Right. And that is a dangerous way of thinking. You know, they take the literary interpretation of the texts right. in the Holy Bible, you know, to apply it in their life so that people become like wishful thinkers, mm -hmm. you know, and they it, take prayer as magic. Yeah. It disempowers them. It disempowers thousands yeah. of people. Yeah. You know, and that is my worry. Yeah. You see, so another way is to strengthen theological education. And, and make it available to people. Yeah, I'm, I am more and more convinced that good theology saves lives and bad theology kills people. Mm -hmm. I mean, quite literally. It is. You know, you can't believe it, uh, Reverend Katie, that I hear people saying, um, um, even if I, am, I have malaria, I will just say back to the sender. Mm. Uh, I have no malaria. And you know, some people say, oh, throughout this year, nobody will die in my family. You know, things that are normal, you know, uh, you know, people, people think that if those normal things do not happen to you, then God's hands, hands are on you. Right. You know, they take the stories out of context and practice in CGCs, mm -hmm. and that is a serious challenge. And many of those who promote these kind of theologies, bad theologies, are rich, materially right. wealthy. Right. And as a result, those of us who have the, we think, have the sound theology, who are not rich as they are, right. will be looked low upon. Right. People look at you and they're like, yeah. well, why are Aren't you, you why are, are you doing as well as exactly, that pastor over that there? Pastor. Obviously, that pastor has something on something you. On, yeah. More faith or yeah, more favor or exactly, whatever. That's why. Yeah, it's the opposite see, of the gospel. Exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine? You see, one of my students who I taught in uh, Cottonto University, he's, I think he's somewhere now in Kenya, sent a text to me and said, uh, when I look at the story of uh, when Jesus said it is more difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a noodle. Okay, not taking the theological interpretation, but just the fact that a, a pastor can actually see wealth, mm -hmm. you know, as a sign mm -hmm. that God is with you. I think that's very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. You see, to get wealthier, yes. Right. But to have airplanes, yeah. You know, to, to, to be extremely wealthy when millions of people are dying every day, right. every minute, children right. are dying. And that is the wrong perspective, of, yeah. you know, of looking at God's word. Right. Well, and I think we have the same problem, um, theologically speaking, that we we do equate wealth with the favor of God and wealth with higher faith and wealth with, and, and it has something to do f for the American context with this kind of Protestant work ethic. Yes. If I have enough faith, then that means I'm going to work hard and that means I'm going to be blessed. Exactly. And in some ways... Yeah. That's true. I yes. mean, you worked, you had faith, you worked hard, yes. you've been blessed in yes. response. Exactly. But it's not to say that just because you have money exactly. or have whatever, that, that you're things. more rights are more blessed or more whatever than people yeah. who don't. Yeah, but even those who are without could even be closer to God. Exactly. You know, we are not promoting poverty, but we are only saying that we should not use material wealth as a, as 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 a as a as a kind of um, measuring rod mm -hmm. for who is closer to God. Exactly. You exactly. Know? You have uh, I have lived in 
I have I was born in one of the poorest country and I have lived in the richest you can see one of the richest countries really affluent society right and I know that sometimes yes material wealth is good but sometimes it can it can be an obstacle mm-hmm. to you seeing the works of the Holy Spirit to you seeing the works of God you know so I really think that it is important for everybody to work hard, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it has nothing to do with your faith or, you know, because you are rich, so you are closer to God. It's you work hard, you, you get your reward. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't get your reward, right. you know. But just to reiterate in many ways, what you were saying is that, uh, that theological education is really, truly vital. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I do think that, especially in a place where there is so much corruption, mm-hmm. um, that that the that the ethical component to what it means to be a person of faith right. um, is is very important in terms of turning things around. It is. Yeah. It is extremely important because what will it help if you go to church every Sunday, but then you are appointed as president of your country, and then you steal all the money that is made for the children in the hospital? Right. What does it help if you are a chief imam and then uh, they make you, they give you responsibility and then you steal all the money for meant for children who are supposed to be going to school? You know, so the ethical aspect of religion is so, so so central in the theological education. So sound theological education is very very important. That was the first half of my conversation with Dr. Joe Moiba. I am sure that you can see the reasons that I respect and enjoy him as much as I do. He uh, is such a support to me and he has so much wisdom that sometimes I just go into his office and and we sit and listen, well, I sit and listen to him talk (laughs) about very smart things. Um, So this was a pretty long conversation, so I decided to separate it into two parts. So that was the first part and come back next week and you will hear him uh, continue talking about his life and his academic work and um, his social and religious work as well. Like I say, always, you can find me on all the socials at Postmodern Missionary. Um, My website, postmodernmissionary.com. You can go and subscribe um, on iTunes and Spotify and all the things. So um, I'd love to hear from you. God bless you. Have a great week, friends.